Like that video? That was awesome. That'll be up on our Facebook page uh, probably tomorrow, so you can watch it again and kind of see all the different parts. And if you were in there, see yourself and point to people like, that was me, that was cool. Um, no, we have some really talented people at Spring Valley who really served and helped put that together. So we do love our volunteers. Man, we have 100 and I think almost 90 people who serve at Spring Valley. So like Carrie said, we'd love to have you get involved in that. Uh, well, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Spring Valley Community Church. And uh, one of the things I love about Spring Valley, maybe you've noticed this, that there's lots of young families and lots of babies. And so at one point I think there was 11, 12, 13, 20, I don't know. A lot of people were pregnant with babies. But the great news is, is that I love kids and I especially love my daughter who's two years old. And I just want to let you know, if you haven't had a kid yet, or you're pregnant with a kid, or you're looking forward to it, I want to tell you that no amount of reading, no amount of watching videos, and no amount of talking to people can ever prepare you to have a kid. Okay, I read a lot of books, I watched some videos and talked to some people, and I could never be prepared because when you have that baby, things change, right? So instead of being able to go wherever you want, whenever you want, you have to carry a cargo container of stuff and then back up stuff with you in case that stuff gets messed up wherever you go. And then you used to think, well, I can just go wherever I want, whenever I want. But then you have nap time that's involved. So that gets there. <laughs> then you used to get eight hours of sleep, right? Nope. Not anymore. After you have a kid, it's more like five. And then you get up in the middle of the night a couple times and it's really great. I love this picture of this baby up here. He says, how do I put this? You will never sleep in again. It takes a lot to care for a child, doesn't it? When your house used to be a place of refuge and quiet and relaxing, now it's full of crying and kids' music. And you used to always be able to listen to your favorite radio station, but now you're listening to the wheels on the bus in your car. Sometimes you go crazy, right? And then for older parents, I'm not an older parent yet, but you used to have a car and now you have a minivan. My wife still says I'm never getting a minivan, right? We'll see. But... Now your minivan isn't actually your car, it's actually a taxi for your kids. Listen, I had to keep telling myself when we first had a kid, this isn't bad, this is just different. Right, so I'm, I'm giving up something for something even better when I have a child. And you know what, it's awesome. And you get used to it and it just becomes the new normal for you. You know, that, that's an interesting term, the new normal. Right? This is a kind of term that's been coined in our culture, the new normal. Uh, after 2008, when the housing crisis happened, uh, housing prices were low and the economy was kind of downturn, and that just became the new normal. Actually, the Urban Dictionary, it refers to this as the new normal, the current state of being after some dramatic change has transpired. What replaces the expected usual typical state after an event occurs. So if you're a parent, that dramatic change is having a baby. You didn't have a baby, and now you have a baby. For the economy, it was the housing crisis happened, now things are different. I would say for followers of Jesus, I don't, I don't know if everyone's a follower of Jesus in this room, but when you're a follower of Jesus, the dramatic event that happens is that you give your life to Christ. Right? You admit that all the things he's done for you, you thank him for that, and then you ask him to become the leader of your life. And then things are different, and there's a new normal in your life. And so what's the new normal for followers of Jesus? Well, I think it's this. I think love is the new normal for followers of Jesus. 
And we're not talking about a romantic type of love, right? Not, not like go to the movies or every TV show, there's a, a love story or a love aspect of it. Every country music song. I was actually trying to listen to country music songs. I thought it was like trucks and dogs. It's just love. Every country music song is about love, right? And, and that's kind of love we talk about in our culture. But the love that's the new normal for Christians is a sacrificial love. And you know what? Sometimes we think as our job as Christians, we become followers of Jesus, and then we have Christ in our life, and now we get to go to heaven. But the real truth is, and the job we have is actually to bring heaven to earth. So our goal is to help all of the people around us have a little taste of what heaven is going to be like. And that's through the love that we're supposed to have for everyone. So we're in the book of 1 Peter this morning. It's kind of near the end of the New Testament. Um, And we're going to see that Peter tells his readers that we're strangers to this world, that we're different from the rest of the world because we have Christ. And so most people in life, here's what they love. Themselves. Right? This is what most people love. We love ourselves and our stuff. And other people often become just a way to get more stuff or to get something better for ourselves. So this morning we're going to see how how uh, Peter is going to tell his readers, hey, now that you're different from the world, your life is going to look different and normal is going to be redefined. So we're going to look at 1 Peter. We're going to start in uh, chapter 1, verse 22. But before we do that, let's pray. God, I thank you that you're here with us. I thank you that today is not just another day in our lives, but it's a day where we get to meet with you. I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that the spirit uh, that you've put inside of us will just help us change and become more like you. We love you and we thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Hey, so if you have your Bible, if you have an app, um, there's an app called Version. It, it looks like a Bible with a little cross on it. I would love for you to download that on your phone or your tablet. Um, so you can do that, but the, the scripture is also going to be up here on the screen. And every week, uh, Pastor Joe and I, we, we study for the message and we read different books and kind of listen to what other people say. And uh, this message this week, there's a guy named Tim Keller, and he's way, 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 way smarter than I'll ever be. And so he had some good thoughts on this. And so some of the things I'll share uh, came from him, but in the context for our church. So I just want to let you know that. Um, so we're going to talk about the, how love is the new normal. So if love is the new normal, then some certain things are true. And here they are. If love is the new normal, then normal Christians are marked by deep and sincere love. That normal Christians are marked by deep and sincere love. 1 Peter 1.22 says this, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. So, Peter has spent most of his time, if you haven't been with us in the past few weeks, he's been most of his time up to this point telling us that we have a new hope in Jesus and that with that new hope we become obedient and we become kind of his kids, God's kids, and that should change the way we live, right? So not only should we be better upstanding people, but now he's saying, now you have to love one another. And this isn't just like, I think you should do this. This is actually a command by Peter. He says, love one another deep from the heart. Now here's what I always find interesting. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you're not, but here's what I think followers of Jesus believe. That our job is to be morally upstanding, good citizens. 
Right? We're supposed to be like God. We're supposed to be holy. And so our job is to be the best, most moral people we can be. Okay? And while I think that's true, that's not actually what marks followers of Jesus. See, Jesus didn't say to us, hey, do you know how people are going to know you? They're going to know you because you're kind of the best people around. Because you're kind of the most law-abiding citizens. He said this in John chapter 13, 35. This is the, uh, the Apostle John quoting Jesus' words. Jesus is talking to them and he says, By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. So he didn't say people are going to know you because you're such a good person. He said people are going to know you by how you love each other. And so what kind of love? What does this love look like? Well, this love is first sincere. He said we have sincere love for each other. So what does sincere mean? Sincere means without pretense. It's genuine. It's real. So let me tell you how I think this looks like in our life, right? It looks like when someone who's a follower of Jesus harms you, whether they gossip about you, criticize you, take advantage of you, whatever it is, this is going to happen, right? We're not in heaven. We're on earth. So people are going to hurt you. I think you have three options when people hurt you, right? The first one is this. You go after them and you hurt them back. Kind of like eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You did this to me, I'm going to do this to you. Your second option is to kind of just do nothing and hold it in and let bitterness well up. And you basically say, you know what? I didn't really like them anyways. But I think the third option and the right option, if you love someone sincerely, is to do what Matthew 18 says and you go to them. And you go to the person and you let them know how they wronged you. Or if you wronged someone else, you go to them and ask for forgiveness. And you talk it out because your love is so genuine and sincere that you're not just saying, hey, who cares about this relationship? What you're saying is, I want to make this relationship right. And listen, I, I know there's times of abuse. I know there's times when, when you can't be back in relationship with this person. But we want our love to be sincere for one another. And then the second way he categorizes this love is saying he wants it to be deep, deep from the heart. So when you think of deep, I want you to think of this, strenuous, stretching to the limit, right? Deep love is, is kind of like this. If you're a runner, maybe we have some runners here, and you run, it starts to hurt at the end, and you want to give up, but you finish it. Well, then the next time that allows you to go run further and further, and even though it's painful, you run further the next time, and you kind of just build up this endurance and this stamina. And when Jesus tells us, or when Peter tells us that he wants to love each other deeply, he's saying, I want you to love each other, and I want you to love each other with a love that's costly. Right? This kind of love that he asks us is actually going to cost us time and energy and effort. See, it's not pain-free. It's not like, oh, yeah, everything's fine. No, I want you to love each other until it hurts in some way. Love, we have connection groups at Spring Valley. That's people who meet in homes all around the area um, to study the scripture and see what God's saying to them. But one of our new connection groups that started, they had one meeting and they had all the people there, right? And it was nice. And then the next week, there was a couple who wasn't there. And so someone called the connection group leader and said, hey, this person's in the hospital or they're going to the hospital. And you know the connection group leader, they didn't say, okay, well, we'll pray for them. No, they went out and they tried to call that person. They tried to get a hold of them. When they finally did get a hold of them, they said, hey, we want to make you meals. We want to care for you. They literally knew the people for two hours. 
And yet they were willing to go out of their way to make them meals, to love them because they're followers of Jesus. We had a couple of our other connection groups just this weekend. People in the connection groups moved and people helped them. They took time out of their day. Listen, it was cold and rainy yesterday. There wasn't a better day to stay in and sleep. But people helped them move because our love between each other, it should be normal for it to be deep and sincere. One of the guys who moved, he's in another group and a person from that group drove five hours to help them move. That's costly, but that's the kind of love that Jesus is talking about that we have. And so this should be a normal thing. But let me tell you, about 71% of Christians as of last year, or 71% of America said they were Christians, and yet for some reason this love isn't normal. Right? This kind of love is not what you normally see. It's not what's reported on the news. Most of the time the love is for ourselves, like we said before, not for other people. And so here's why that love isn't normal. Because it's actually impossible to be normal. It's actually impossible to be normal without help. It's impossible to love people without God's help. So let's look in verses 23 through 25. It says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So listen, I could stand here and I could say, hey guys, do you know what? Christians are supposed to be loving and we're supposed to love each other deeply and sincerely. All right, so here's what I want you to do. Take out your orange cards, write down someone's name who you need to love deeply and sincerely and how you're going to do it. And then I could say, hey, and you know what? Go do that this week and have a great day. And I would set a record for the shortest service at Spring Valley. Right? And some of you are like, can we do that? I'm really excited about the Eagles game today. I need to get ready. And I'd say, if we did that, though, I'm actually doing a disservice to you because the truth is we can't go and love someone on our own. We definitely can't love them deeply and sincerely because you might be good at it for a real short time. Then you're going to lose it. You're going to get busy. You're going to do your own stuff, and you're going to forget about loving other people. See, here's where the passage comes in. It tells us that we're, we have a new birth, or we're born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. That we're born again, now we have this ability to be different. It's, it's a spiritual birth. And here's what I want you to see. It's not natural for us to be loving each other. It's supernatural. It's not natural for us to be loving each other. It's supernatural. See, when you make a f- commitment to follow Jesus... What happens is that God puts his spirit inside of you and supernaturally enables you to follow him because we can't do it on our own. See, Peter was quoting this passage where he said kind of the the grass withers and the flowers fall. and And he's doing this because what he's saying is that all these things are temporary. The grass is temporary. The flowers are temporary. He's kind of talking about people and our achievements. We're temporary, but there's something that lasts forever And that's the word of God and God. And so his power makes what only can be done supernaturally, he makes it normal for you and I. All right. So 
I'm going to ask you guys to do something, and I want you to participate. And some of you will be like, I'm too cool for this, but I want you to participate, okay? And some of you just got nervous, but it's okay. All right, so listen, I want you to put whatever you have in your hands down, and I want you to put up your hands like this and stick out your index finger. Not your other finger, your index finger, okay? Stick out your index finger. All right. Now listen, this is my right hand. This is your right hand, okay? So with your right hand, I want you to move your index finger counterclockwise in a circle. Okay? You guys are good. This is good. All right, stop doing that. Your left hand, I want you to move that counterclockwise in a circle. All right, you guys are talented. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to start moving both of your fingers counterclockwise in a circle. Start that. All right, go faster and faster and faster. What's happening? This hand, your left hand, is actually turning the opposite way, right? All right, let's try it again. You guys can get this. Ready? Start turning. Turn the other one. Go faster. Up. Did it just happen to you? Let's go one more time. Try really hard. You ready? Try it. My one finger just keeps going up and down like this. Okay? It like stops even trying to do a circle and goes up and down like this. Now, now why is that? The reason that happens is because you're wired for your fingers to go in opposite directions. I don't know exactly why, but you're wired that way. And the truth is, we're naturally wired to not be loving and caring for other people. See, the truth is, you and I need to be rewired so that we actually love other people deeply and sincerely. And that's what happens when you follow Jesus, that he gives you a new spirit and he makes you new. Listen, I know some of you are still trying to do the finger thing. Like, listen, I get it. I'm like, oh, I got to figure this out. You don't need to figure it out. You can practice at home. And then next Sunday, come back and say, Andrew, I figured it out. Okay? See, the, the point is, is that you're not naturally wired to love people. And that's why it becomes impossible. And God needs to do his work and rewire us so that we can. And without that... We'll never be able to love and serve people. And there's a, another thing that makes it possible, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But let's look at what it means to be abnormal. Right? We talked about normal is loving sincerely and deeply for fellow Jesus. But what does it look like to be abnormal? Here it is. It's actually abnormal to be unloving. It's abnormal to be unloving. Let's read 1 Peter 2, verses, uh, just the first verse. It says, Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. So Peter started a new chapter, but he, he's, he's still talking about the same thing. Peter says that these people then need to rid themselves of certain behavior. The word rid here in the Greek actually means to, to take off. Right? So he's not saying take off your clothes. We're in church, so don't take off your clothes. But he's saying, take off these things. So, so what is he saying we should take off? We should first take off malice. Malice is the desire to harm people. Right? Malice means that you're intent on making them feel pain or bringing them down a notch. And then if you are full of malice, that usually leads to deceit. And so we all know what lying is. We all know what deceit is. And then deceit leads us to hypocrisy, right? And so 
if you're a hypocrite, it usually means that you have to deceive someone or at least make them believe something that's not true. Hypocrite is, is, is in the sense like a, a play actor, someone who puts on a face. Listen, there's lots of us in the room, and social media makes this so easy that no one really knows who we are because we're always putting on a front. And then you have envy. That's when you're jealous of someone. You're saying, I don't think they deserve that. And then slander usually follows that, doesn't it? Where you're, you're, you're trying to say, hey, you don't deserve that, or you don't deserve that kind of reputation. You don't deserve that praise, so I'm going to just bring you down a notch. Listen, why do we do this? What motivates us to want to harm people? Even if you think it's harmless, you're still harming people. I think it's this. I think we have this amazing view that somehow we're smarter, better, better looking, more deserving than most other people. And so we put ourselves on this level and everyone else kind of, maybe they're not way down here, but everyone else comes just kind of on the level below us. And so we become the most important because when you're the most important, you're the most important. So it's okay if you harm someone because it's for your benefit, because it's saying, well, that's going to help me a little bit. It's okay if you lie to them. They don't need to know the whole truth. Because if they knew the whole truth, then maybe it'd make me look bad. Listen, I deserve all of that. They don't. How can I get that? And listen, we start to see ourselves as, as right here above people. Do you know why that's abnormal? It's because of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's because of the gospel. And here's what the gospel says, guys. The gospel says that, that God was looking at humanity and they were so messed up and so perverted and so many things wrong that they could never be in relationship with God because he can only accept perfection. And many of you know this. So he had to send his son, Jesus Christ, down to earth to live a perfect life, to die a death on the cross, to shed his blood, and then raise again so that people who are undeserving could be made right in God's eyes. And so here's what the gospel doesn't afford us. It doesn't afford us to say, hey, I'm here and everyone else is here because the truth is Jesus had to die because of your sin. And so when you're looking at someone who's in a mess or who's messed up, what we shouldn't be thinking is, man, I'm glad I'm not there. And what we should be thinking is, I'm right there with them, but Jesus died for me. Man, they don't have it all together, but, but I still don't have it all together. And I'm just a little bit further ahead of them. And you start to see yourself not as better than other people. See, that's what religion does to us. Right? Because maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you are, but maybe you've been kind of doing the religion thing. You're saying, if I'm just good enough, God will finally accept me. If I can just do enough good stuff, then God will be there. And do you know what happens? What happens is that if you do think you're good enough, right, then you think everyone's down here. And if you don't think you're good enough, what happens is that you're self-deprecating and you only look down on yourself. See, if you get the gospel, what happens is that you say, man, I am messed up, but man, I am loved. Right, and when you're loved... You don't have to have a bad view on yourself, even though you're messed up. And it starts to change how you treat other people, doesn't it? Because you just received 
this amazing love that you didn't deserve. And so our response needs to be, we give that love to others. Here's why it's abnormal to be unloving. Because when you're unloving, you do the exact opposite to others of what Jesus did for you. See, Jesus saw you in a mess. And he said, I'm going to love you. If we go to the book of 1 John 4, 8, there's some hard words but important words for us. It says, whoever does not love God does not know God. Because God is love. God is literally an embodiment of love. 1 John 4, 19 through 21. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. There's that word command again. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Listen, remember, remember when we said that it's not your, your good behavior, but it's your love that marks you as a follower of Jesus? So there's, there's a church, and I actually don't know exactly where it's from, but it's called Westboro Baptist Church. Right in there, a church. But what they love to do is go to funerals of people who are homosexuals or soldiers and protest and just kind of make the whole day horrible for the family. Now listen, everything they say is not truth from God's word. Okay? I think, I think just a little bit of it might be truth, but all of it is not, and the way they do it is not loving. It actually makes it just a painful experience for the families of the people. And do you know what I would say? Are they trying to love those people? No. Because God says why we should give truth, we should give it in love, and that's not a loving way. And so, not according to me, but according to the scripture, I would say they better check themselves to see if they really are following Jesus. And I think the same is for us. Man, we have to say, are we really following Jesus if we don't have love for other people? So not only is it normal for us to have deep and sincere love, but then we go back to that it's actually impossible for us to do without God's help. Right? And so God's help isn't just his new birth inside of us. But Peter's going to say, you have to have Christ's new birth, his spirit inside of you, and you have to be doing something else. And here's what I think he's going to say. You have to be passionately seeking Jesus to sustain a normal life. That if love's the new normal, then you're passionately seeking Jesus to sustain your normal life. Verses 2 through, th two through 3 say this. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So not only do we need God's help, his, his new birth that he's given us and his spirit inside of us, we actually need to be seeking God like crazy. Right, so if you're really going to be what we would call normal, you need God's help and you need to be seeking him like crazy. So I really like this verse. It kind of resonates with me, especially verse 3. It says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So I like food. Right, some people live to eat and some people eat to live. Right, I'll let you figure out which one I'm on. Okay, so one time Angela, my wife, and I were on vacation in Seattle I went to this cheese shop and I tasted cheese curds. Now cheese curds sounded really gross, but it's, it's just the top of the cheese when they're mixing it all together. It's the top of the cheese 
that uh, they kind of skim off, and my wife calls it squeaky cheese. Okay, so I had squeaky cheese for the first time in Seattle, and I loved it. Right, we had a bag of it, and the bag was gone by, our short, by the end of our short trip in Seattle. And so I'm like, I want more cheese curds. And then I found out that they deep fry them. Okay? So I don't buy cheese curds on my own. I know they sell them at Wegmans, but I'm, I'm not going to go there. But anytime I go to a festival or a fair, I'm looking around for those metal kind of buildings, right? And I'm looking for the one that says cheese curds on top. So listen, I'll be honest. When I go to the festival, I'm not excited about the rides. I'm not excited about the exhibitions. I'm just looking. Where's the cheese curds? Because listen, I tasted this and I thought they were awesome. And I'm like, that was so good. I need more. And so that's what it's like for followers of Jesus. When you, when you taste that the Lord is good, when you see what he gives you and how he makes you feel. And Peter said that there's an inexpressible and glorious joy that builds up inside of you when you see how good God is. He said we should want more. He talks about craving spiritual milk like a newborn baby. See, his heart isn't to say, hey, if you're a new Christian or you're new to following Jesus, what you need to do is get the basics. No, he's saying we all need to be like babies in the sense of this, that if you've ever been on a plane with a baby that's crying or you've been in a room with a baby that's crying and they've gotten changed but they're still crying, you know what they want. They want milk. Somehow, they don't have logical processing yet, but they know that milk is what they need. And for followers of Jesus, that's what it's got to be like for us. That we want to know Jesus. That we go after him. That we, the, the pure spiritual milk is this, is kind of seeking Jesus and hearing his word. And hearing others talk about his word. And worshiping him. And that's the stuff that comes inside of us and builds us up. Right? We need him to build us up because, listen, we're more likely to be loving when we're spending time when the person is love themselves. Tell you what, most anybody can be a good moral person. Right? Maybe you have a neighbor and you say, hey, they're not a follower of Jesus, but they're such a good person. So maybe it's from our backgrounds. And our family taught us to be good people, so we're good people. Right? Maybe it's just you're wired that way. Like you're just wired to be good. Like you grew up and you're always the teacher's pet and you were just good. Or there's other people, they want to look good in front of other people so they're good. But the truth is for followers of Jesus, it's not how good you are. It's how you love each other with deep and sincere love. I got to spend some time with, with one of my friends from Spring Valley and he started coming to Spring Valley after Easter and gave his life to Christ. And we were hanging out the other day, and you know what he said to me? He said, Andrew, something's different inside of me now. Something's different inside of me that wasn't there before, and I love it. And I want more of it. And you know what he said? I wish I found it earlier. What if us as followers of Jesus could get that? What if we could say we need more of Jesus? Because I believe if we can... I believe we can say Jesus is born inside of me or the Holy Spirit's inside of me and I'm seeking Jesus. I believe it will be normal for Spring Valley Community Church to be marked by deep and sincere love. I believe that there'll be forgiveness and reconciliation. 
not just within our church right here, but with our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers. I think actually that your workplaces will start to change because you love people deeply and sincerely. I think that your families, extended families, very extended families, your friends, those relationships will change if it's normal for us to be deep and loving. So I got the, the, the privilege of visiting Israel a few years ago. And I got to meet this guy. His name's Elias Shakur. And, and Elias, uh, he, he's an older guy, but he was in Palestine when, when the, the Israeli people came in and kind of pushed out all the Palestinian people and kind of took their land and they got the promised land back. And his family was hurt a lot, but, but he's actually like the Martin Luther King Jr. of Israel and Palestine because he holds peace marches with Muslims and Jews and Christians all together marching for peace. And, you know, he tells a story that when he was 26, he just finished seminary and he came to his first place where they assigned him to be a pastor. It's in a town of, of, called Iblin. And Iblin, the, the church there had been very divided the pastor who left, he actually stole stuff from the church and went away. The town was also just very divided. So he spent the first 18 months of his time there kind of visiting different families, inviting them to church, and, and he was kind of just working hard at it. One night he got a call, and it was of this guy whose mother was dying. And so he went to the house late at night, and, and the, the guy wanted him to pray with the mother and kind of comfort her and be with her. And he knew this man had three brothers. So he said, hey, why don't you go get your brothers and bring them here so they can say goodbye to your mother? And he said, never. Never, I hate them. And so later on, the guy's mother died and the other brothers never got to say goodbye. And so, as common in the the Middle Eastern area, people are very religious, and so people started to come to church as it got closer and closer to Easter. And so it was the Sunday before Easter in his church, and the, the church was pretty full just because people were doing their good religious duty. So Elias is standing there, and he said it was the, the least impassioned sermon or talk and least impassioned worship service that he'd ever gave because he was so worried about people seeing the bulge in his pocket. And so he finished his sermon and everyone rose so he could do what they call the benediction so they could leave. And instead of giving the benediction, Elias went and he walked down the aisle and he closed the doors of the church and he chained them shut and he put a padlock on it. And he said, listen, I've tried for a long time to help you see that you need to be reconciled to each other, that you need to love each other. He said, but instead you just continue to fight. And he said, I'm just a man and I can't do it. But God can change your hearts. And he said, so we're going to stay in here until that happens. And he said, I don't care if you kill each other. He said, I'll do your funerals for free. But we're going to stay in here until God works. And so he said, everyone looked at him angrily. And one minute passed. 
and three minutes passed. Five minutes passed. Ten minutes passed. And then someone stood up. And it was that guy who just let his mother die without her other son saying goodbye. And he went up to the pastor and he said, I'm the worst of all of you. He said, will you forgive me? And he went to the pastor and said, will you forgive me? And he said, of course. And he said, now go to your brothers. And he went down the aisle and before he got down the aisle, his brothers came out and hugged him and cried with him and wept. And he said, at that moment, the whole church started going to one another and asking for forgiveness and making things right. He said they stayed there for an entire hour just celebrating what God was doing. And he said they opened the doors and they went out into the streets and they went to houses and they went to families and they made things right. He said that changed the whole landscape of the town. You know, I didn't bring a chain today and I'm not going to chain the door shut because that's a fire code violation. Plus, we have curtains, so it's hard to chain curtains together too, right? But today, I would say, are you willing to be normal? Man, Jesus said normal is deep and loving, even though people are messed up. Even though people come with an as-is quality. So this morning, we're going to celebrate communion. And communion is, is just an act to, to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. But Jesus said something very specifically, and I know this is going to be challenging for some of us in this room. Especially if you've been in church for a long time, he said this. In Matthew 5, 23 through 24, he said, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. I think we would say this has to do with communion as well. And so this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, we'd love to have you join us in communion with one caveat. It doesn't matter what church you're at, we'd love to have you join us if you're not a follower of Jesus. Uh, we'd say this is something that followers of Jesus do to celebrate together, so we just ask that you refrain. But listen to me. Jesus said, if you have something against your brother or sister, that could mean friend, coworker, maybe it's fellow Spring Valleyan. He said, would you, you abstain from making your sacrifice before you go and do it? So this morning, here's how communion is going to work. I'm going to read the scripture passage for communion. And then there's communion at tables here, here, over there, in the back, over on the side. And instead of us passing out communion to you, you're going to get up when you feel like it's the right time and go and take the bread and take the cup to celebrate the fact that Jesus died for you. So we're going to do that in a minute, but I, but I want to challenge you. If you know there's something in your life where you have something against someone where you need to ask for forgiveness or you need to make things right, I would actually ask you if they're in this room that you would go to them. Maybe you've gossiped about someone or someone's gossiped about you. Maybe you've hurt someone in some way. 
I would say you go to them and make it right before you take communion this morning. Listen, when we're taking communion, the band's going to be playing a song and everyone's kind of going to be getting up at different times so it won't be awkward. I mean, at least no one will look at you and think it's awkward. But see, that's what followers of Jesus do. That's actually normal for us. I mean, if, if you have something against someone or someone has something against you that you haven't made right, I don't want you to get up and take communion until you've decided in your heart that you're going to take care of that this week. And you know what I'm okay with? I'm actually okay if these communion trays stay pretty full because you're saying I have business that I need to take care of. One of the most powerful times I've ever seen communion done was in a church that I was a youth pastor at and we were taking communion and they were passing it along the rows and everything was going fine. And it got, next, it got to the associate pastor's wife who was sitting near me. And she said, I'm not going to take communion. And I was kind of taken back. And so later I asked her, I said, hey, why didn't you take communion this morning? I'm so interested. And she said, because I still have bitterness in my heart towards someone and I'm working through it. And I'm trying to let God change me, but I'm not going to take that until that changes. So I'd say for us this morning, just being real, it's a little uncomfortable, but are we going to follow Jesus? Are we going to say, I want to be a person who's marked with deep and sincere love and let God do that work in our hearts? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to work in our lives tonight, today. The band's going to play a song, Holy Spirit. And while they play, the words are going to be up there. And you feel free to sing along. Or you feel free to go find someone who you need to make things right. Just go sit next to them. And then I want you to, to get up and take communion. Maybe you're saying, hey, Andrew, I don't really know of anything. I'd say, great. Come and enjoy the bread and the juice as a symbol of celebrating what Jesus did for you. And listen, once you do that, come and worship God joyfully. And if you have something against someone, pray that God would change your heart. Make a decision to take care of that this week. And after you do, come. If you're one of those people who don't take communion, we're not going to look bad at you. I actually have a lot of respect for that. So the band's going to start playing. Feel free to come up there. There, 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 there. I'm going to read the passage of Scripture. And then we'll sing together, take communion together, reconcile together, whatever we need to do. It's going to take courage. But Jesus wants it for you. So let me read the passage and then we'll start our song. This is from 1 Corinthians 11. When he had given thanks, he broke it. This is about Jesus. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup. is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Say, feel free to take communion. Feel free to reflect. Feel free to find someone in this room and make things right. And we'll worship together and then I'll come and close us.